Welcome back to the Kaiju Transmissions Podcast, a podcast exploring giant monsters and Japanese fantasy. I think I'm getting better at the slogan, Matt. It's better. Yeah. Um, and that's Matt, my co-host. Hi. And um, we have uh, our friend... Tom, who is a very special guest today, because today is his birthday. Happy birthday to you. Yeah, and I'm spending it here, so. (laughs) (laughs) Happy, happy birthday. Do you have a good birthday? Like I said, I'm spending it here, so (laughs) I I think we can all imagine. Uh, I think once you're our age, birthdays don't... (laughs) Like it's like who cares, <laughs> right? It's like another year yeah. closer to death. I mean, no, there's a there's a. I mean, I hate to be like one of these people who has kids and is like, oh, birthdays <laughs> are for sad old people and kids. But like, yeah, once you have <laughs> kids and like they are excited about their birthday, like you just don't matter at all anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be very relatable during this episode about just not mattering in general. <laughs> in lots of contexts, <laughs> too, I think. <laughs> um, so we're here to talk about 2007's uh, very uh, divisive Big Man Japan, um, which is a parody... I suppose you could say. I didn't even think it was divisive until recently. Uh, I think it's one of those. It's it's one of those weird things where normal like people that are into like foreign films and and art house films and stuff like that seem to like it, but when you have but but ironically the fandom of the genre it's in is mixed on it the monster normies the the word I mean, killer <laughs> yeah well i mean I and, and I, there's reasons we'll kind of for that I, Some, don't, I don't know if that's ironic honestly given the content <laughs> of the movie and well there's reasons for that some of which are you know innocent and excusable and and then others that are just like you know where's all the fighting and 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 what what not and what have you um uh <clears throat> but yeah the this is a i i mean i it's an interesting film for sure and th- there's a lot to unpack here um uh but before we do that um i'll start with some words um about the gentleman who made it uh his name is Hitoshi Matsumoto who for Probably 100% of the people listening to this is just a a name, but um, he's a big star in Japan. Um, You can't say 100% because Kevin listens to this This is true. This is true. (laughs) Um, And speaking of Kevin, I do want to give him a shout-out. There's a couple sources uh, that were very helpful um, with this episode. The first is... uh, um, the chapter on this movie from his book, Kaiju for Hipsters. So, uh, regular listeners know Kevin, Kevin Derendorf. He's on here all the time. 
And then the other one is an essay by Kenta McGrath. Um, it's found online. It's also in the book, Giant Creatures in Our World. Essays on Kaiju and American Popular Culture from McFarland Press. Um, and uh, that's an article called The Confused Nation, Hitoshi Matsumoto's uh, Big Man Japan. Um, so, uh, yeah, this episode um, would not be what it is without that helpful material. Um, <clears throat> so who is this Matsumoto fella? Um, like I said, he's a, a popular celebrity in Japan. Um, he became famous as half of the stand-up duo Downtown. Um, he's known for uh, very dry, kind of ad-libbed humor about mundane topics, often delivered in that kind of dry and conversational manner, um, very deadpan. Um, and Don, Downtown and Matsumoto... Uh, just solo have had uh, just a large presence in Japanese pop culture, including variety shows, sketch comedy. Uh, Matsumoto's written a whole bunch of books. Um, uh, he's compared a lot to um, Beat Takeshi Kitano, um, who's had a similar just career as a kind of a, a very versatile. Um, uh, I don't know what you want to say, uh, uh, presence. Pro prolific. Yeah, um, and, and just like, you know, you can't turn on a TV probably without seeing him somewhere. Um, and uh, But despite having claimed in 1998 that he would never make a film, um, he changed his mind because he decided he wanted to, uh, and I quote, break cinema and do something nobody else has done. Um, I would say he probably succeeded. Um, and then, um, uh, so him being, you know, uh, a big star, he got a lot of people in this movie actually to do cameos, which a lot of American audiences might not know. His manager is played by the singer uh, Yua, or Ua, and her name is just spelled U-A. Um, the monsters are played by Japanese actors and comedians. For me, the most recognizable was uh, Ricky Te uh, Takeuchi as the Leaping Monster. He's from, uh, I know him from the Dead or Alive films from Takashi Miike. Um, I'm going to butcher some of these names, by the way, so please forgive me. Um, Ryonosuke Kamiki is the Child Monster. Comedians Takayuki Haranishi and Itsi. Iteo as the Stink Monsters and comedian Kanada Yuna, oh Lord, uh, Yuna Bahara, Jesus Christ, <laughs> Yuna Bahara, <laughs> Yuna Bahara Haruka is the Fastening Monster. Um, so uh, that's kind of why this thing exists. Um. And, like I said, there's a lot to unpack, not so much plot-wise, it's kind of a plot-light movie, but just in terms of subtext and, and just <clears throat> stuff going on, um, we should mention that uh, uh, Matsumoto has been very open about saying this is a movie, as a Japanese person, he made it for a Japanese audience about Japan, um, which is similar to yeah. kind of what the, the Shin Godzilla guys, you know, what Ano. And, and Higuchi were saying about that movie is like 
So if you aren't Japanese, there's probably a lot of context, historical context, cultural context that you're going to be missing, um, which is true of Shin Godzilla for sure, but also of, of this. So um, uh, before we kind of unpack a little bit of that, I think um, an unconventional movie is going to call for unconventional podcasting. So I, I kind of think we should do a plot rundown and then kind of tackle what some of the main themes of the movie are, and then get into kind of the more review portion. Um, so uh, I'm going to call on the birthday boy here uh, to give us um, just what is, you know, give us the setup for Big Man Japan. What, what do we got here? And that's because it's an unconventional movie. I don't think this is one where it makes a whole lot of sense to go through the, the beat by beat, you know, yeah, right now, right? I, mean, I don't think, especially the the ending itself has to be a whole segment of this episode. <laughs> like, the, the, like plot synopsis, themes and subtext, ending, and like review is like almost <laughs> like the structure we have to go by here. Right, because the ending so, you, the, you could do an episode just about the ending. A hundred percent. I would. I would also watch like a whole series of shorts. Oh of my god! Yeah, just, I, that would be amazing. <laughs> of the Super Justice Family. Yeah. Um, but so, anyways, um, the, the movie's a mockumentary, right? So um, this is Spinal Tap type of type of style to it, or you know, any of the big. Uh, big sitcoms that came along in the in the early to to mid aughts that were that you know mockumentary style uh the office probably being the most notable um and it follows uh masaru daisatu uh played by hitoshi matsumoto who is uh he, he seems like just a normal japanese citizen Right. And, and uh, we're kind of following him around and he's just going through his life and, you know, just saying, uh, you know, my days are just kind of I sit around. I, I try to uh, go to places that remind me of like my childhood or hanging out with my daughter, who I only get to see every once in a while. And then he gets a phone call and it's he's like, it's it's work, guys, it's work. And then, you know. They, they follow him. They're very intrigued in his work, it seems. And uh, he has to go to work. He goes and drives to uh, a government facility. And uh, there's a big influx of electricity. And the next thing we know, we're seeing him as a giant man fighting a giant monster. Uh, the, the first monster he fights is, is the strangling monster. What did you call it? The, the binding fa- the f- monster? Or yeah, something? or the fastening monster. It's all, yeah. the, all the same. Same thing. Yeah. Um, which is, uh, yeah, it's like a big rubber band thing, basically, that uh, has like a human face to it. And that's something, you know, when, when Bird mentioned that all the, the kaiju are, are played by like other comedians and other actors and things, like they all have their faces. Um, it's all done entirely in CG, but they all have their faces. So, you know, now we know we're following around a man who is, uh, he's, he's big man, Japan. He, that's, that's his name. Actually, he's a 
he's uh right that's his name big man i think just big man right um or is he big man japan actually uh there's at least one or two parts where they call they say he's big man japan yeah so um he he is the sixth of his name or the sixth in the line the sixth person to be big man japan and um the others before him are his his ancestors right so his dad was big man japan his grandfather um but you know you'd think that being the the hero of japan who fights off monsters and and invasions from from monsters would be uh would make him a celebrity would make him very well loved and uh quite the opposite he lives a life generally of anonymity with um you know people not even generally knowing who he is uh the, the on the occasion that they do uh they they greet him with ridicule or or uh contempt um he suffers through people graffitiing his house and you know saying that he's a he is a waste of national resources all the power because they have to electrocute him with high voltage in order to make him transform um so he's he's a waste of national resources he is destructive of birds um it happens a couple times throughout the movie that he doesn't quite destroy the monsters and and they you know something happens at, at one point two monsters have sex at another point um a giant red devil monster just kind of runs amok and he's not able to stop it um and he gets ridiculed for that so he's in this situation of like being a uh, he's damned if he does damned if he doesn't right and he has he has resigned himself to this fact he lives a, a life of quiet desperation and uh you know, just just he's a rather meek and and humble kind of person, just floating through, doing what he does. He makes an, a a meager living. He ekes out a life. Um, his agent is more than likely taking extreme advantage of him. She drives like a new car every week. He doesn't even own a car. Um, so. He's just he just lives a, a, a generally sad life and he kinda laments the, the passage of time because when his grandfather was doing it, his grandfather was the fourth. Um his grandfather was very well loved and you know they 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 talk about how his grandfather had parties all the time and was never alone and uh, never had to pay for anything because he was this big celebrity, he never took a wallet with him anywhere. And now here, here Daisato is just living a, a sad, lonely, pathetic life. Um, he's estranged from his wife and child. They're not divorced yet, but she considers them divorced. Uh, he says he gets to see his daughter once a month. His wife says, no, I only let him see her twice a year. I can't stand being around him much more than that. Um so he just he just he lives a very sad life but he uh goes and and does his duty um he's barely even sure why he does it anymore uh but but he does and um you know eventually at one point like i said he encounters a a, a giant red like, devil type monster um it's really the only 
monster in the entire movie that is uh, malicious at all. The others are just mild inconveniences. Uh, for those who, for those out there who watch a lot of Ultraman, you know the the other monsters are those ones that that just want to sleep or just want to exist. And Ultraman comes in and and murders them horribly. And the Red Devil is like, I don't know, Bolton or something. Like he's he's actively malicious. Uh, the uh, the documentary crew, in order to get you know good footage of him sort of works and conspires with the government and his publicist to sort of force them into a final battle, which is kind of how the, the, the movie concludes with um, his grandfather joining the fray and ultimately um, in the finale, a, a team of, of superheroes uh, very much in the stylized after Ultraman, swooping in and helping him fight this giant devil monster that is uh, said to not be from Japan. It's said to be from elsewhere, heavily implied that it's Korea. And uh, these these Ultraman family people come in and help him. Um, they are heavily decked out in red white blue and stars so um you could see the you could see the subtext in in those three <laughs> things right there the the big man japan the devil from korea and the red white and blue family um it's it's not even really subtext at that point <laughs> um, right but uh yeah that's that's it's it's a mockumentary about this guy and uh, you get to see him fight a few monsters and get sort of forced into a, a final showdown type of thing. Um, so again, kind of doing this weirdly and experimentally. Um, so That's, I, I feel like I hit on all the major like plot pieces, yeah, right? I mean, yeah. there's, I guess the only the only other one I overlooked was at at one point. Um, oh, there's there's two things. One is his father died. Um, that that's mentioned. His father uh, electrocuted himself to death because he tried to ramp up the voltage to try to get even bigger. Um, and so his he is the lone caretaker for his grandfather, the fourth, who is now <laughs> has dementia. And at one point, the grandfather transforms and becomes giant, and, <laughs> and like he, he trips over him <laughs> later. He, he like <laughs> well that. <laughs> But he, uh, the grandfather, like, he tries to fight Tokyo Tower and tries to shave his face with an airplane and, and a few other things. And, like, uh, he, Daisato, catches a lot of heat for that because they're yeah. like, oh, big man Japan run amok. And he ran amok. And he's like, that wasn't even me. And they're like, well, it's it's your name. So <laughs> he just gets, he just, like, he's one of those people, uh, Shit rolls downhill, and and he lives in a valley. <laughs> um, yeah. That being said, you do have to admire that he just kind of like has accepted it. He's he accepted his lot in life, and he's like, yeah, you know, this is it. Um, so what is all this? All the, so I, I think 
the only reason I want to get into this now as opposed to in the is opposed to after the review like we might normally do is because I feel like a lot of it is going to be brought up again when we talk about our review. So, let's just get out, out out of the way right now. What what does all this mean? Okay? Um so Big Man Japan is I would say by and large the embodiment of Japan as a country. Um, some of this stuff I'm going to talk about, there, there, there's different reads that you could extrapolate, um, but I think overall, I think thematically, we, we kind of have it down here. Um, and what do I mean when I say he's the embodiment of Japan? Uh, well, and this is where I, I invoke the title of the essay by Kenta McGrath, the confused nation. You know, I, I think a lot of this film is talking about just Japan having an identity crisis. I don't know if Matsumoto even knows himself what he thinks Japan should be, but I definitely think he's trying to show that Japan doesn't know, and I feel like he probably doesn't know either. I don't think he would know the answer to any of the... It, like okay what is what is japan's identity what should it be i don't i honestly don't know that he he would know but um so he is japan big man japan is japan so what so a couple things to back kind of kind of illustrate that point the title of the movie um big man japan um the when you uh the japanese title more if you were to translate it more literally um, could be read as person of great Japan and uh, great Japan that's a moniker uh, that is that's a patriotic moniker in Japan that comes from the pre-world War II era it's outdated in, in the current age um, more examples of, of that kind of traditionalism in this are when he transforms there's this Shinto ritual that's done beforehand and you know and they even admit, you know, it's not necessary for this ritual to even be performed for him to power up. It's just a thing that we do. Um, you know, he wears that old school kind of wrestler uniform, um, and then uh, the monsters themselves are refer aren't referred to in the movie as kaiju, but the more customary word, which um, I don't know if I'm pr- pronouncing this right, but kimono. Um, so, so there's there's some traditionalism in in the 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 text of the film and in especially in the character's appearance and i guess some of his habits um and uh you know there's even a part where he kind of says you know he doesn't want to go overseas he doesn't want to visit the united states he more or less says that he's anti-us but he's not he he even sounds kind of confused what he thinks um but he does say that some of those views about America and other countries, you know, these, what you could say is kind of xenophobic sort of um, viewpoints are, are things that he inherited from, you know, his parents and grandparents and things like that. Um, so that's kind of what he is on the surface. But when you actually look at his behaviors and things like that, it's not quite reflected. Um, and uh, Matt, do you want to kind of pick up the baton there and, and kind of talk about what I mean by that? Or not. 
I apparently was on mute because I was coughing and forgot to. <laughs> this is like uh, this is like work all over again because everybody's muting themselves on their team meeting and stuff. Yeah. That was that was me. Well, you missed your <laughs> cue. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, but I mean, kind of mentioned him being. He doesn't have. Um, he's very insular. He doesn't have a lot of agency. Everything that. Um, the, the stuff that's passed down from him from like his family, it, it very little about him embodies any actual Japanese culture. And like you mentioned, the USA, like his anti-USA sentiments, he's basically saying, like he never clarifies exactly what he means, and he adds that he doesn't even know exactly what he thinks about it. Um, if he embodies Japan, then basically he embodies a country that has struggled to find an identity between now and the end of the war, and they can't make up their minds if they need the USA or not, and I think that's a really important key for this movie. And then um, the, the the kaiju genre itself actually... Um, Matt died again. Can you hear me? <laughs> yeah. yeah, hello? So yes, the, kaiju, right. the kaiju genre, yes, it... it Begins in America, basically. King Kong. Yeah, okay, there we go. Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, yeah. Yeah. Um, And then, of course, the culture itself, or Japan's culture itself, has been diluted. And the citizens actually don't know what to feel about anything at this point. And then we also see, um, later in the movie, we we kind of see the the intrusion of American culture, right? He meets his daughter, who he only sees, we established, twice a year. And he meets her at, like, a big boy restaurant, which I found hilarious, because, like, that's the restaurant that we actually have. I didn't even know they had Big Boy in Japan, but... (laughs) Yeah, but, like, that part made me laugh. So, like, there's there's that intrusion of American culture. Like, he's picking the one American restaurant to meet his daughter that he never gets to see otherwise. Yeah, and and he gives her a hat, too. It says, like, USA... It's like USA Chan or something. Yeah. Um... But, yeah, he he overall... Correct me if I'm wrong, but can't... Like, you talked about the title of the movie... Can't it also also be like because it's isn't one of those titles that's like kind of like a multi like kind of like Shin Godzilla like Shin could mean a whole lot of things yeah in Japanese like yeah. can't can't the title of this also be translated literally as like big Japanese or something like that yeah like, yep so it's not only like big man Japan or big man of Great Japan but it's also big Japanese like. Yeah, it's. I mean, the t- the title alone kind of points you in this direction that this isn't just a uh, a movie about a guy. It's like he. It's a. It's more allegorical. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like, like Matt said, he, like he doesn't even know, seem to know what what he's saying, and and yeah, he it it, it comes off as that whole like Japan is. They want to keep their dependency on the U.S., but they also don't. And I mean, this is a topic that we still see today. And I mean, I don't. I, it, it, it's it's still something that is brought up, especially when it comes to militarization. I, I don't know that I would say this movie is thinking of militarization, but more just like as a culture, who are we as a culture? You know, um, and uh, and. Everyone is just kind of nonplussed by these threats, these monster threats, which are, 
Um, you know, I mean, as innocent as some of these monsters are, I'm sure there's human casualties. There's an actual danger there. Um, but they've just become so mundane and boring that people, like, people don't care about them. And you even see that in, with, with Big Man Japan, he's just like, every time a monster shows up, he reacts to it like getting called into work on his day off. He's like, ugh, I gotta go... <laughs> take care of that like he, the, he he just seems annoyed that he even has to deal with this to be in the first place um and you know it's almost like if you, if you were ultraman and like every day was fighting another monster like you'd eventually get bored and not think anything of it but um when you think of japan's weird place in the world especially like with their neighbors in north korea like still you know throwing nukes in their direction for just for shits and giggles you know um i i think there's something to be said to how this movie is kind of using these kaiju attacks in that way like um for example citizens being interviewed in the streets you know they they're never overly concerned about um any of the monsters, like Tom said, they, they spend most of their time complaining. Um, everything from Big Man Japan is wasting electricity to he's, he's a bad fighter to, you know, oh, I wish that fight was more exciting, almost like they're talking about a boxing match. Or some people are just like, God, he's so ugly. Like, you know, <laughs> people don't really seem that concerned about any of it. And the all the, all the fights are, like weirdly disconnected um from any live action there's not really a lot of extras that you see um and there's there aside from the red monster and i you know i guess there's some some things like that he does that the With public the rubber band monster yeah yeah is like destroying some buildings yeah. and stuff and there's there's some there's some stuff like where he'll do something in one of these fights that makes people mad, but they're never really concerned about any of the actual consequences of, like, these kaiju attacks. Like, so they have, like, no bearing on, like, the actual plot by, by design. And I, I, I think the, you know, I think I think of, of a valid kind of read on that is just they're, they're very disconnected from these events that are happening around them where lives are at stake and they're, they're disconnected. Basically they're disconnected from what's real and meaningful in real life and what's not. Um, and you could, and, and like I said, with some of these, these, uh, some of this messaging, there's multiple reads you could have, but I mean, that could read as, you know, just the society can't distinguish, um, from TV and reality or, or that I think it's more like, they're disconnected from the actual threats that Japan does face, like North Korea, because it's so normalized. And so because of that, you know, when they talk to the, the Japanese people in the movie, they're, they're shown as being just kind of petty and unconcerned with their place in the world, as if war or the threat of war is, is something that is just way in the past. Almost kind of like where GMK goes in the first act, where people are like, they don't even remember that Godzilla happened just because they're so just disconnected from, from any, any, any sense of reality, um, about what's in their own past. Um, 
And obviously, uh, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Well, and I was just, it's, it's, I mean, you start picking up on it being an allegory. It's, it's funny because even though the movie is very distinctly Japanese and, and the filmmaker, you know, admits as much. And, um, when, like when he premiered it at con and it got a positive reception, he was like, I, I can't believe you guys liked it. Like I did not expect anyone other than Japanese people to even understand it at all. When you start approaching it from uh, from not a Japanese specific lens, right, and you just kind of start looking at it as a movie and what it could possibly mean, and you start thinking about like how Americans approach all the various threats that we face on a regular basis, right? And it's like as long as they are distinctly American threats, or you know, in this case, this movie distinctly Japanese threats, nobody really cares. Right. Nobody cares about and hey, pick whichever side of the aisle you fall on this. Right. I mean, no one cares about about on a, on a grand scheme of things. People like to do a lot of bitching and complaining about but never take any action about gun laws or abortion or uh, police brutality or uh inadequate taxation or over taxation like whatever right pick it pick a uniquely american issue and like nobody people like the bitch but nobody gives a shit and that's the way that the japanese people react to all of the kaiju really except for the the devil one is the only one because that's not a distinctly japanese threat that that one's not from japan but that's the way they react to all of these kaiju really it's just like like, they have a lot of complaining to do, but they don't have any solutions at all. Yeah. Um, and that's when you start seeing, once you kind of see, like, oh, this is, this this maybe isn't just about some sad man fighting monsters. This has maybe more of a message to it. You, you could kind of start to see how he's really making a, a commentary on, on, it is very specifically Japanese society. But, like, there's some universal uh, truths in there that, that help it translate to, obviously, non-Japanese audiences. Yeah. Um, no, I, I would agree. Um, Matt, did I steal your section a minute ago? You did. However, I was muted, and, like, you didn't hear me talk, so it's fine. Okay. <laughs> We're a disaster tonight. I'm sorry. We, yeah, it's, it's okay. This is our <laughs> Tom. Happy birthday! We're so glad you're on. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, it, it is interesting that yeah, they they you know they they just seem to not care, uh, and I I think um, yeah, I I think that what they're he's, so beleaguered by constant threats that yeah they. Yeah, they don't care about any of them, and then and then yeah, the, the 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 Korean one. It's one of those things of it. It it's the only one that seems to get people to react any in any way other than just talking about the big man Japan and how he failed. Right? They're like, oh, that was at least a fun fight or whatever. Yeah, but but they still don't treat it like a serious threat. Yeah, you know, and that's uh, that. they and and he runs away from that fight, and then that's when they start calling him a coward. They say he's not a, a real patriot, all that stuff. They're they're so constantly beleaguered by 
some threat, whether real or imagined, right? Whether whether it's like the 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 strangling monster that is actually tearing down buildings, or the 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 stink monsters who just kind of stink and then, and and want to <laughs> have sex. Um, that that they are completely desensitized to when real threats happen, and it's like, yeah. I mean, look at look at look at this country, <laughs> right? Yeah, no kidding. Um, it, it goes so far as like the they're rooting for the the North Korean monster Sandin to win. Like they're actually rooting against Big Man Japan. But like I was, there's a couple characters that make comments about that. Um. So I mean, th- there's a few more layers to unpeel here, but uh, so so yeah, th- there's layers to this movie. It's really going after a lot of different subjects like we already talked about just japan as a confused culture and where they and also being existentially confused about where they should fall in the you know global infrastructure and i mean we we see that a lot especially when it comes to america i mean we that's still going on we just saw it in shin godzilla shin godzilla kind of runs with it to another, to the other extreme, and kind of going into things about uh, military uh, rearming the military and things like that. I, I don't think Matsumoto is really getting to any kind of conclusion. I think he's just more concerned about, you know, what are what are we? What are what does it mean? What is a Japanese? What is the Japanese culture? What does it mean to be Japanese? Yeah, and he's and what is. What does it mean to be Japan? Yeah, in, I, I in think twenty first century. And, yeah, and, and in post war Japan in general. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, because we see the flashback of his grandfather, and his grandfather is like marching with the military yeah, yeah. and and all that kind of stuff, and then yeah, he just is employed by like the Ministry of Defense, but like he's never escorted by any actual military or anything you know yeah like. he's he, he uh and he doesn't get paid as much um as his grandfather did you know his body gets sold for advertisements <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> yeah they pay him to like put wear signs whenever he has to go fight yeah and and yeah he He's like he's the protector of Japan, but nobody really cares. Nobody really wants him. Like, yeah, it's it's uh, it's definitely like, what does it mean to be Japanese in a in a post war Japan? Yeah, and and uh, I and and like kind of Matt mentioned, like there is a little bit of like, you know, Japan needs us and wants to rely on us, but they also like they want us there and they want us gone at the same time. And yeah, yeah, like I, we even mentioned, like even the kaiju genre wouldn't exist without American <laughs> films, you know. Right. So, so then it becomes because this is a kaiju movie, right? It it almost be, it becomes a, a a commentary on. There's there's a, a way to read this for sure, and and I think this is a, a piece of why a, a lot of kaiju fans don't like it because. It becomes a commentary and a critique of the kaiju genre as a whole, honestly. Um, you know, because if 
if kaiju films have their roots in America, then then kaiju films, even though they've become a staple of Japan, are they even really Japanese? You know, I mean that's that's kind of a question that this movie raises, and and then because are they even really Japanese? You know, uh, is it anything that we should care about? And that's why and I think that's a big piece of why the the fights are so brief. Um, you know, because it's it's I I I get a feeling, and and, and I'm not saying this necessarily as a bad thing. But I get the feeling that Matsumoto really does not give a shit about kaiju movies. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't think. I think he knows about it, and I mean, we, we definitely, we'll get into the ending, but he definitely knows the tropes of, you know, the tokusatsu shows and things like that. But yeah, he doesn't strike me as, uh, you know, he's not on Reddit talking about, when's Destroya going to show up in the MonsterVerse, or, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right, so he... he and then, and then, yeah, in its in its final sequence, it it, it brings that point home. Right? Yeah, I mean, you get a taste of it throughout, and then you get to the the finale of the movie, and it really it goes from a a, a questioning of of what the genre is and where the genre stands, um, whether that's intentional or just kind of something I picked up on because I'm a kaiju fan and you know this movie was made when um when the ultra series was sort of winding down um and rapidly decreasing in popularity before it would wind up being revived with neo ultra q and and uh ultraman ginga um so it, it, it goes from being sort of wondering what the genre is to just a absolute scathing critique of, of the genre <laughs> at, at the end. So, so here we have a couple more layers that are going to be peeled back. And this is, this is probably a natural segue into the ending segment of the podcast. Um, so like I said, there's a crap ton of stuff being uh, examined in this movie. <sighs> It doesn't end here. So, well, first of all, the in the last few minutes of the movie, um, it switches formats. Now, it it which is it, it says it basically I forget what it, it says, but um, it Please says enjoy enjoy the rest of uh, in, yeah something. enjoy live action in, or enjoy something. yeah you're now going to be watching the rest of the events <laughs> live basically, and that's where the 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 documentary format is basically ditched and the construct of these cg monster battles is now replaced with the more traditional man in suit tokusatsu effects people in suits and miniatures and so that right there leaves a couple of things up like that's kind of also looking at you know is the is this saying that everything we saw before was a reenactment? You know that docu- maybe doc- the documentary format can still be unreliable, and I don't know if there's some kind of spin you can work that into. Um, I guess the media and 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 documentary uh, how documentaries can be edited to be a certain way. I don't know, but that's an interesting thought at least. But then. 
so we have the Super Justice family. They come down to Earth um, to help, in quotes, help, in quotes, <laughs> um, Big Man Japan fight the, the, the red monster. And here we see basically a parody of Ultraman, including kind of poking fun at the way they just brutalize and humiliate these monsters. Um, I'm going to pass the mic to Tom real quick to kind of summarize the ending of this movie. Right. Okay. So, so yeah, so in the, in the finale, right. I alluded to the, the documentary crew sort of coerces his agent and the government into sort of forcing a final conflict between, um, the devil monster and big man Japan. And yeah, I, I hesitate to even attempt to understand what he's trying to say, but, but, you know, it's kind of this, and I, and I don't want to get too, too editorial with it, but still like, you know, you're talking about the, the final confrontation between Japan and North Korea. Um, but so it's, it's this final confrontation and it, it starts off in this CG format. Um, he's fighting, uh, his grandfather shows up to to try and help him. Uh, the the devil like does his grandfather allude to that he's fought this devil before or something? Um, I'm not 100 percent sure, but anyways, this this devil like drop kicks the grandfather. Uh, the grandfather is hovering in between life and death. Um, in an effort to scramble away from further. Uh, shame and pain and embarrassment himself big Jam- big man japan uh trips over his grandfather kicks him in the head and kills him <laughs> um, <laughs> um and then and then yeah that this this is all in cg and then it says we're gonna take you to the rest of you hear like a big voice say freeze and then it says we're gonna take you to the rest of the events live and we switch to the tokusatsu traditional man and suit stuff and what we have is uh, Super Justice. Um, oh God, what's that? I, the 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 daughter uh, or Super Justice's sister is like, "Don't touch me." Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> her name is the, "Don't Touch Me." Yeah, the the dad and the mom both have like weird kind of names, um, and there's a baby. Uh, they are in red, white, and blue, and they're like, "We'll help you." And to which entails Super Justice, who's the the young man who would be, you know, sort of your ultra man, your ultra brother, however you want to say it, right? Slowly walks up to the the Red Devil and smashes a bus into his face. Um, Then Don't Touch Me starts rolling up newspapers and Super Justice just starts wailing on the, the, the Red Devil, who has gone from this big imposing force to this sort of benign, like, just stands there and does nothing. Uh, almost pathetic creature. Um, after Super Justice beats the shit out of him for a while with newspapers, uh, Father Justice, I can't think of his name, but he says, time for baby or die. Um, they do a, a special field goal kick type of move with the baby where they, they soccer kick it around a bunch and bash it into the, the devil. Um, all the while, like every time 
Super Justice is like setting up or in the middle of a, a, a brutalization, you get this like very patriotic music, but then it almost goes like a step awkwardly too far, and the music just cuts uh, every time. Like he'll be punching the devil, and then he'll he'll drop kick him, and he'll like smash into the buildings and and almost fall over, and the music will just stop. And then it'll start up again when Super Justice starts beating the shit out of him again. Um, then the the baby or die move doesn't work. So the, the Justice family all puts their hands out and they say, peace. And they'll say, peace. And then they get big man Japan to come over and they say, join us for peace. And he's like, I don't, I don't know what, what, what do you want? And they're like, peace. And he's like, what, what the hell are you talking about? And they're like, just peace. And he touches their hands, and they blast the devil with a, a, a rainbow beam that explodes the crap out of it. And then they're like, all right, justice, here we go. And he's like, I don't, what do you want now? And they're like, justice. And he's like, what, what are you talking about? And they're like, just stand in the middle of us. <laughs> they fly off into the sky, and, and he's like, what is happening here? Um, and the movie ends. Except that it doesn't, because then during the credits, we're treated to Big Man Japan has been invited into the Super Justice family home for dinner. And they are breaking down the events of the day. Um, one other thing I kind of forgot to mention when I was doing the plot breakdown is all of the fights that Big Man Japan does against other monsters throughout the movie are televised. He has a very bad time slot. He runs at like 2.40 in the morning. <laughs> um, and so like after this this is all taking place mother the mother is like breaking this down almost as if she's like how did this go as to how the normal formula and format of our show and beating up a monster should have gone you know and like the son is like, oh, I think it went well. I'd give us like a 7 or an 8 out of 10. And the mother's like, oh, I wouldn't even give us above a 4. Uh, and she's like, it was kind of crappy <laughs> when you kept stumbling and tripping. And this was not so good. And that was not so good. She's like, and then, She was like, why would you start with hitting him in the face with a butt? <laughs> <laughs> you have to use your fists first. And the son is like, well, that's dumb. They don't know that fists are for real. You hit him with a butt so he knows you're for real. <laughs> Um, and then, uh, you know, then, then super justice gets kind of pissed off cause he's like getting taken down a notch. He thought was feeling good about himself. His mom starts telling him all the things he did wrong. And so then he's like, well, actually it was sister's fault cause she didn't roll the newspapers fast enough. And also big man, Japan didn't touch our hands. And the mother's like, yeah, you should have touched our hands. Um, and and yeah, that's how the movie ends is with this family sort of breaking down and critiquing the uh, the events of their brutalization of this monster, which includes buses to the face, beating up with newspapers. They strip his clothes off. Um, there's a really <laughs> funny moment where they go to strip off his boxers and the elastic doesn't break on the boxers. After so watching... So they have to try and pull the elastic off and it takes... It takes like two minutes. <laughs> after <laughs> watching like the, it. after watching so much Ultraman now, is that 
part even funnier or what? Yes. <laughs> um, also, as as they're shooting their justice beam, um, Big Man Japan like takes his hand away and he's like, oh, it doesn't even what I'm doing doesn't even matter. Yeah, he says, I, I don't matter. <laughs> I don't matter. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, but that's that's the end of the movie is this like giant Ultraman parody. And it's it is. It's so freaking funny. I, and yeah, the way the music is done is really smart because it's like the music ends when you think the scene is probably going to stop and then like they just keep hitting this creature and <laughs> then the music will start again. Um so so yeah, there we have the whole USA Japan relationship kind of that part is kind of hammered home with basically the u.s is in this conflict with north korea and um japan is just uh, there in the middle and north korea is always like messing with them for no reason like we still hear about that like oh a nuke was launched in the direction of in the general direction of japan it's like why um and it, it's interesting that like these are these are anxieties that Japan still has. Like Matt and I just recorded an episode about the final war, which again, like that's all about how the the treaty between the U.S. and Japanese militaries, because the U.S. like if there's an attack on Japan, the U.S. is involved, and if there's a, an attack on any U.S military property on japanese soil the u.s and japan are involved in that as well so yeah japan is still in this place where it's like very unsure of like it's very like existentially anxious about all this still and again we see some of those themes again in shin godzilla where it's like yeah they're under america's thumb constantly and and we see you know throughout the the earlier parts of the movie this devil is this like it's it is this big imposing thing to big man japan right and then and then for super justice family they like just brutalize it and eliminate it without even breaking a sweat yeah um yeah and uh, i mean it's it's very much what it's very much how japan uh and north korea and the u.s how strange that relationship is um which is actually one of the things that you know i mean we we talk about shin godzilla and having uh you know nationalist um themes and stuff but one thing that I didn't really mind was how America was portrayed in that movie because that is what we are. It's what we do. You know, we 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 do keep them under our thumbs. I'm not I don't I'm not saying and I don't necessarily think that making Japan a military superpower is the answer, but it is a <laughs> valid critique of our relationship with Japan and I think I prefer this movie's tech tactic of like pointing out the problem but not necessarily offering a solution type of thing you know like yeah i i don't think matsumoto and, and certainly is certainly not making it seem easy 
Yeah, I, I, and I don't I don't know that he's interested in that. I I I don't think he knows, and I don't think he's pretending to know what would work. I I I think he's just I think he's very anxious about the things that could happen to Japan if an international war were to start because we have so many stations on Japanese soil it's very likely that there could be a conflict that Japan's not involved in that they could become involved in for a stupid reason and i think he like a lot of Japanese people probably feels threatened by that. And then the other big thing that we've talked about is I think he's concerned about just it, what is Japanese culture now. And I, I, again, I don't, I don't, I think he, I think he's very much as unsure of everything as the character that he's playing. Because he plays Big Bang Japan, and I, I think he, I think he's just as kind of, you know, yeah, is, I don't know what is this Japanese is. culture just a, a weird, for lack of a better word, perversion of American culture. Yeah, you know, an interesting um, read that Kevin had in his book, and I don't necessarily think. I, I, I do think I think I think the read that you get is very literal at the end of the U.S. is the fa- the family, the Red Monsters Korea, Big Man Japan's Japan. But um, Kevin bring, brings up the point in his book: What if the Super Justice family is now a newly shaped a new Japan shaped by Western culture versus the old Japan of Big Man Japan? Which is, I don't think it's an invalid read, but I, I, I think the movie is a little more literal at that point. But it, it's it's something interesting to think about, regardless. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's a that's an interesting read. I, I I don't think it's yeah. I don't I don't think it's it's what he's going for. But I mean, it's it's not an invalid read, you know. And that's that's kind of what makes it a, a good bit of of satire and and social commentary yeah um which which funny that you know um one of the most uh blatantly critical of this genre movies of i don't know the ever right this 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 movie is one of the most has some of the biggest most contempt this movie has some of the most contempt for this genre of any movie certainly of any movie that was made within this genre (laughs) um (laughs) and yet at the end of the day it sticks to the one big thing that i think made this genre sort of what it was what it is and and made it uh, lasting and and popular, and that's that it has a strong sense of social commentary and satire to it. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah. What is his Matsumoto's point with all this? I think we kind of went over it. I think the point is just that they are just. It's a very confused country, and it has a place in the world that is very i think helpless in a way especially with these two 
you know, nuclear powers, you know, fighting basically with them in the middle. Um, okay, so we've told you what it's about. We've told you what it means, but let's talk about it. I think now is the time to get into what we think of it as a movie. I, I think people can probably sense over overall the three of us like it, but, you know, let's actually kind of, how does this work as, as a movie? Um, uh, I guess I'll kind of go and um, pick Matt's brain a little bit, just because um, uh, I want to get give the mic to him for for uh, for a bit after all this rambling. Um, and I think he's the newest, uh, to this movie out of the three of us, but, uh, yeah, just give us some of your, I guess, uh, first impressions and takeaways and whatnot. So I more or less, uh, didn't know exactly what I was getting into, right? Like I have Kevin's book and I've read it, but I've, I, my brain, I don't retain information and, and, and keep it the way that bird does where I can like regurgitate facts um, and I, I, you know, watching the movie, I was like very drawn in initially, which is kind of the, the, the narrative. And like, <laughs> I was cracking up every time, like he'd go to a new place, like there'd just be random insults posted on these walls. He's like driving his motorcycle up to this government building. And like, there's just things plastered on the, like his, his trip to the building. Um, the comedy stuff made me, made me chuckle quite a bit. Like there's some funny bits, like there's a monster that basically has a, a penis like that he put the eyeball at the end that he throws um there's uh like there's some bits where like well yeah he gets like electrocuted but like they clamp his nipples that's how the electrocution goes into his body what's up with um, that flashback like, where like his dad tries to like overcharge him and like it like there's like weird like volcanic cones like coming out of his nipples what yeah like it yeah that was (laughs) i i don't know (laughs) it's insane like so so like we talked about all the the super the very the very serious and like sometimes on the nose like at the end sometimes not so much on the nose with all the different stuff going on but like movie's actually pretty funny like and it's gonna catch you off guard you've not seen anything like it um and I, i think it's like if you go and you and you don't know what to expect and kind of the way that I did, like I I walked away like very just like what WTF? I'm not exactly <laughs> sure how to process this. I mean that's I not a, I, that's that's probably the proper reaction. Well, like I, and it's the same thing. I felt like him. Like I'm like I don't know who I am right now. Like what did I just watch? How do I even talk about it? Um, and then you step back and you think about all the stuff it does. And like something that actually did really resonate with me is he, he's got this agent and like she's clearly making a bunch of money. Like she's rich. Um, she's giving an interview and they're asking her a bunch of questions. Like, how'd you become his agent? And, you know, talk to us about what you do. And she's like texting on her phone and like kind of giving answers and all this stuff. And then she's complaining about, well, she's got to go find this new advertiser. And then she's telling him he has to fight in a certain way so that the advertisement that's put on his chest isn't actually blocked during the fight. Um, and then it turns out, like, she's rich. She's got these two, like, super fancy dogs. It's and clear she's in... making most of the money. Yes, she is Bandai, in this case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, it, I mean, like, it, it's, it does, does some stuff like that that I think is really clever, and it, and it works really well in the film, and I, and I found it very engaging. And then you get to the end, 
And like I've seen some comments online where people are like, "Well, it's kind of mean spirited." I'm like, "Well, yeah, it's that's the point." Like, I was laughing my ass off, by the way, when they just beat the crap out of that little the red monster. But like, they really beat the crap. Like even Tom talking about all the different stuff that they did doesn't like it. It's even worse. Like when you actually <laughs> watch it, they beat the absolute and shit out of this thing. You know what makes it so funny is that it's legitimately not far off from what you would see in an Ultraman episode. <laughs> it really isn't. Remember like, Dodongo? Yeah, like, when he like, climbs on eyes, he climbs onto like his horse. back and pokes his eyeballs out <laughs> and rides him around like a horse? It's like so that's he you, smacks th- his ass like <laughs> yeah. Like that's not only that's not only mean, it's humil you're humiliating this poor creature. <laughs> you know? So it's really not that far off from what you'd see in, <laughs> in an Ultraman series. I, I also think like it's really well written. Like the the, the it's it, the character like Big Man Japan you just like he gives a sense of like utter despair and apathy, but he doesn't want it to be there, but it is and he doesn't know how to process like it's just I don't know. I found it kind of relatable, to be honest. And there's no, also that he, part where, like, he, he finally cuts his hair. He's got this, like, long hair for half the movie. And they give him basically, like, a bowl cut. And it's... <laughs> I was just cracking over during that part. Yeah, so I just, it, it's clever it, and witty, and I, I, I had a lot of fun watching I think he... I think he... Matsumoto plays him with such a sardonic attitude about his work that is very relatable. Like I, I, like I mentioned, like when he has to, he just, he feels more annoyed that he even has to do this than (laughs) he, he is by there being a monster. You know, he's all of us on our days off getting called into work, you know? Um, and yeah, that, that's very relatable at the the same time, you know, because he is Japan, right? He wants to do it. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, he doesn't want he doesn't want the U.S. to come in and do it. He even he even says basically as much when his actual quote. I have his actual quote when he talks about the U.S. And uh, the, the, the interviewer says no trips overseas. And he says overseas. No, never. I don't even have a passport. I just accept that's the way things are. I'm not anti-U.S., but you see with protecting japan protecting japan is not the way i like to put it but that's a factor too the interviewer interjects you don't like the united states you said anti-us well of course in this day and age they're not the enemy but i was brought up that way a bit and it's like yeah he he doesn't he doesn't want to do it, but he doesn't want the U.S. to do it yeah. either. <laughs> he, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, th- I gotta say, each and every monster fight cracks me up. Okay. Um, and and I love his interactions with the mon. First of all, the monsters are utterly bizarre works of surrealism. I mean, you have. These they're really odd designs with the actual faces of these Japanese celebrities, and you know when I love when it, like when he goes up to them, he's just like, "Stop it!" <laughs> like he's, <laughs> he's just like, "Stop!" 
go home. Like he ta- he tries to talk to them and just be like, "Stop doing that." Um, he's like, "What are you What are you doing in the city?" And they're like, "I don't know." And he's like, "Well, go back to the suburbs, please." <laughs> <laughs> um, and and uh, when 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 he kills one of the monsters, they um, <laughs> every time there's like this beam of light from the sky and you see like their soul or their spirit like <laughs> ascend into heaven and every time that happens it cracks me up um i think the ones that make me laugh the most is um the leaping monster who's j- basically like a giant leg and i think he has like a butt with a butt yeah and then and then and then um uh uh ricky Takuchi's face and all it does is leaps and it and it it shouts the word in English the word is joy so it just leaps around and says joy and it it just ends up getting stuck between two buildings and it like it tries like to get out and when it's doing that it's saying joy joy and then like for whatever reason just it being stuck kills it <laughs> And you just see the the ray of light <laughs> come and, and send it to heaven. That part that's the that's a funny one. And then the child monster, which is basically just a big baby human, pretty much. Literally, yeah. Um, it's just like in the middle of of the city, and it's like crying, and like it's a baby. It doesn't know what to do. It can't really move, and he's like picking it up and like trying to get it to stop crying and it bites his nipple and he drops it and you just suddenly see the, 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 the ray of light taking its uh its spirit to heaven and uh and and that's like the one of the big public outrages is like he killed a child and then of course the other one that caused a public outrage is like there's the two stink monsters trying to mate um and that the, that's where you have the one monster that can talk, and he's like, yeah, go to the suburbs. Like, leave everyone alone. Do you know how much you smell? You smell terrible. And, it, and, and like, it's like, well, I don't want to go anywhere else. And he's like, and then, and then it, like, kicks a couple cars, and he's like, stop doing that. He's <laughs> like, will you stop it? And then, uh, and then like, the, I, guess, I guess that's the female, and the male stink monster, I guess, is like, really young and like the female doesn't want anything to do with it and it's like i don't know it's doing some like really bizarre mating rituals where like part of it like opens up like an umbrella or whatever and then the the girl one like bends over and like like, tell him to stop yeah he's like will you tell him to stop doing that like tell him you're not interested and and then he goes over and he's like she doesn't want anything to do with you go home and it just keeps like making weird noises and doing all these weird dances and then yeah the female one like turns around and like farts or something and then the male one like pushes big man japan out of the way and goes and (laughs) has sex with it and like of course this is all on tv so like that's another thing is like everyone was calling him a pervert and it was like uh you know kids watch kids tv watch this, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah there there's uh, i i think all the stuff with the monsters works really well just as like this really absurd surrealism very japanese humor very dry but like hilarious 
Yeah, absolutely. And especially, especially not, not even just the end of it, but like, especially all of it. Like when you watch and learn more about Ultraman, you know, like I said, this, it's funny because if, if I didn't know that this movie was made in 2007, right. I would have, I would have assumed it was made maybe in like 2013 or even 14, like after the Bandai Ultraman shows had been around for a bit. And, you know, the, the idea of like using Ultraman so blatantly and so, uh, just obviously, to, to move product and sell toys and sell ads and not make not make money off of the show but make the show because the product is making money you know sort of inverting the the, the way the, the the relationship between how the show the show had always sort of influenced product in the past and now it's product influencing yeah. the show I would have 100 percent just thought that that's that this was like made you know in like 2014 or 15 when like that became more the norm for Ultraman um, and instead this ultimately winds up being sort of prophetic in that respect right um, that that it's made in 2007 when the, the Heisei Ultraman stuff is sort of winding down and Ultraman is losing popularity and becomes uh, sort of shelved and just part of the, like the only the only way Ultraman runs from 2011 to 2016 is with like compilation shows or something, right? Um, that like this this ends up being prophetic of like what would kind of keep Ultraman going, right? Is selling ads and stuff like that, right? That 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 he has to do, yeah basically degrading himself in order to remain on television. Yeah. Um... And I say that as someone who has seen all of two, uh, I guess three, if you count Neo Ultra Q, uh, new gen ultra shows and liked both of them. So I, I, I just, it's, that's not a commentary on the quality of new gen Ultraman, just the reality of it being a, a, like Matt said, a soulless Bandai product. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, um, also the, the evil stare monster, uh, Matt talked about looking like, kind of like a big testicle <laughs> with a big phallic <laughs> thing with an eyeball. And the funny thing about him is that his attack is he throws his eyeball, but he has to retract it with his arms. <laughs> like, and so like it gets stuck in an electrical tower and then, the uh, I guess his weakness is the second it's in darkness, it falls asleep, and then the eye like uh, gets knocked into a like a storage unit or something, and it just falls asleep. <laughs> it, it also because he throws his eye at you, like if you dodge it, he gets like dirt in his eye. Yeah, and then he has like, to go to the yet? yeah, then he has to go to the river and <laughs> and wash it. <laughs> um. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's there's a lot of funny stuff in here. I mean, we haven't even talked about some of the just interview segments and and stuff like that that are funny, um, like 
Or how when he transforms, um, he has to stand inside of a giant pair of underwear. <laughs> oh, yeah. For- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I will say, like, the, it's, the movie is... It's it's I've seen a lot of people complaining and like it's true it's 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 very slow paced but like I I almost can't imagine it being any other way I feel like the slow the slow pacing complements a lot of the comedic timing I think That's yeah, actually what I, I would, drew I me so. in like initially I was like what like what is this exactly but I'm like couldn't stop watching it and then the more he talked and, like, the worse it got and he just, like, fumbles over everything and stuff, it was just like, oh, man, this is, like, it's really well written. I do think, I, I would, I mean, could you trim, like, a little bit here and a little bit there? I, I think it slows down a little too much and to its detriment somewhere around, like, the, the stink monster slash, slash baby, like, like. I agree. In its... In its in a later part of its second act, I think it, it slows down maybe just a smidge too much. But I mean that's like it it's still even if you you cut out a few minutes here, a few minutes there of that part of the movie and 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 you know took the whole thing from like it's an hour forty eight and you took it down to like an hour forty, it still would have a very leisurely pace to it as a whole. Yeah, but I, I guess that's also just kind of what his his humor his brand of humor is always like largely ad-libbed um very dry and like kind of um awkward i guess and so sometimes like when there's long pauses or something between like the interviewer and him a lot of the time like that's almost like what is setting up something that is going to be funny, you know? Yeah. And there is, like you mentioned earlier, the, the, the idea of like, is, is media unreliable? Are documentaries, you know, slanted or whatever? Like there is like, we never get to see the interviewer, but boy, the, the, the things he says (laughs) and the questions he asks of people, this interviewer that, that, you kind of get the feel is like not super in supposed to be in the documentary that they're making. Right. That are just like questions he asks while the camera is running are so blunt and rude. And you know, like, like he just like looks at some girl and he's like, Whoa, you're tall. You know, like, (laughs) um, and he like, he like, is constantly questioning the 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 agent about her dogs and like um yeah he just like the interviewer is also like just as much of a like cynical kind of like there's no sympathetic character in this movie and i I think that's probably what turns a lot of people away um you know between between that and the absolute critique of of tokusatsu um there's there's not really like a likable like like a sympathetic character. I I do think Daisato is is relatable, um, but he's not you know like he's just he's resigned to this like shitty life that he leads. He's never you know they're like 
I feel like the documentary crew even wants to tease out like and they're doing it because because we've set up already that this documentary crew is like just trying to get stuff that's good for TV, right? Like at one point during the Shinto ritual, they make someone do a part again so that they can get a better <laughs> angle on it. Um, right. Like they, they, I think are, are trying to goad him into a conflict with his agent, but they're like, dude, she's taking advantage of you. And like, you know, trying to get him to care about that. And he's just like, yeah, whatever. And like, yeah. Same with like, uh, when he shows him the video of him, like getting all these, uh, questions from his wife, uh, and, like, she's kind of opening up about, like, how much she actually hates him. And, like, yeah, it, it definitely has that kind of, like, you're f- they're fishing for the reality TV moments, you know? Right, and he oh. just, he's he's such a, like I said, he's relatable, but he's not, he's not painted super, super sympathetic. Because rather than have him have like that moment of realization that like would make us sympathize with him where he realizes that his wife hates him and wants to keep him away from his child and that his agent is taking advantage of him and that all these things that he's doing for others are like in vain and nobody gives a shit rather than having him like ever realize that he has already realized that and he just accepts it (laughs) yeah he is what the kids would call a mood. <laughs> I don't matter. <laughs> but, like, remember when uh, the they're showing him the video of his wife? It's not just, like, that she hates him. It's that she's already moved on and she's with somebody else that's rich. Like, yeah, like yeah, he's yeah. finding that information out during that video. And yeah. he doesn't care. <laughs> <laughs> I don't matter. <laughs> he is a big mood. Um... So yeah, I, I think this is. I don't know. I see. For me, this when I first saw this movie, I didn't really pick up on a lot of the very Japan specific, you know, cultural stuff. But but it's still. But I always liked this movie. So even before I really kind of bothered to educate myself about what it's actually doing, I still enjoyed it as a very strange piece of absurdist surreal comedy um yeah i so i so i i i i like and appreciate it even more now knowing more about like you know some of the actual subtextual stuff but it's a movie that i've always liked and and for me it always did work as a really strange comedy um so i mean the comedy is like the most subjective thing in the world maybe but um so you know if you don't like the comedy that's fine that's fair whatever but um it is one where a lot of you know i'm not gonna say all because you know you can think anything of any movie no matter what you understand about it but a lot of a lot of the comments and reviews and stuff that i've seen from american viewers that are skewing into the negative territory i really think that there is a degree of they don't get what's happening here. You, you know, see a lot of people thinking it's just a weird, absurdist movie with surreal monsters and that kind of stuff. And so they think it's just boring 
Yeah. And it, again, again, it, it's everyone's sensibilities are their own. Like we said, it, you could you could fully and one hundred percent get all the the symbolism and everything, and still think this movie is boring. And that's not a. It's not a. Uh, it's not an invalid read if that's just your sensibilities. But like, there's a lot of people who think that it's just boring because it doesn't have, like, they only see it as like an absurdist comedy, and as a pure absurdist comedy, there's not. It's not like there's a joke a minute. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of downtime. There's a lot of a lot of musing. There's a lot of uh, moments where it's just kind of awkward or uncomfortable and. And yeah, those are those are moments where it's maybe making a comment about, you know, Japanese culture and how it has changed. Um, and it's not particularly funny or anything. Um, and I think when people are like, oh, we're rubber band and fart monster. OK, now what? OK, now what? OK, now <laughs> yeah, what? Yeah. You know, <laughs> we, we've talked about it before, but like. Godzilla fans as a whole have a hard time looking outside of Godzilla. Like they won't, they won't watch King Kong. A lot <laughs> refuse to watch like even the the Gamera trilogy from the '90s, or like they struggle with something like Colossal because it's like it is a monster movie, but that's not what it's really about. And this is going to be in that same vein. Yeah. Where like it's yeah, it's not it's not going to be what what they picture in their head. And because of that, it's ultimately going to be something that like just they find utterly disappointing. But if they gave it a shot. And they went in with a, with a different attitude and perspective. Like, I really think it, it's a movie worth checking out. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've said it on this podcast a million times. In my opinion, the most interesting stuff is happening outside of, you know, your franchises. It's happening outside of Godzilla or King Kong or Ultraman or whatever. It's happening in your big man Japans, in your colossals. And you howl beyond the fog. It, it it's weird too because this this movie came out at, at both a very good and kind of bad time for itself. Good in that this movie was one of those what are, what are Westerners are, have been calling it like the 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 wasteland years or yeah, something yeah. like that or or the the the, the forest years or yeah something. something like that yeah yeah. Um, where this this came out when there was no major franchise running at all, and I mean, that even damn near goes to Ultraman, right? Like this this movie came out in that that period where all of the the major franchises were Godzilla was in hiatus, Gamera the Brave had flopped already, and uh, even Ultraman was was winding down, and. So for Western fans looking for kaiju output, um, it was stuff like it was all parodies. It felt like you know for for a while, like Big Man Japan and um, Monster and X, Monster X Strikes yeah, Back, uh, Gahara, and uh, yeah, and, and Death Kappa, yeah, um, uh, Raiga, yeah, and and. And so it, it's weird they came out at a good time because I think if this movie came out, you know, not so much now, but, you know, five, six years ago when 
the MonsterVerse was cranking up and Shin Godzilla and the anime and Ultraman is, you know, getting on, on Crackle and, and being aired simulcast and all that stuff. Like, this would have gone completely unnoticed. Whereas in 2007, like, I remember this movie coming out and making some waves in the genre when it came out bad because it i think it gets unfairly lumped in with like a monster x strikes back or a death kappa as one of those shitty parodies from that era yeah those movies specifically seem to go for some pretty low-hanging fruit you know um but uh, and so does this at times for sure yeah yeah but it is it is kind of unfortunate and i would i would you know i would honestly say like if you are someone that maybe checked it out back when it came out and it didn't do it for you maybe give it another try um but yeah that kind of can segue into just the reception of this um and we kind of mentioned it earlier um not some this movie was actually kind of a bit of a hit and it became um internationally it became kind of a festival darling um and it, it got a limited release in the u.s it, it played in some art house theaters and um in kind of you know your film nerd circles here in the states it it kind of quickly found a little bit of an audience i don't know that the, it was the kaiju fan audience like i mentioned earlier but uh but yeah it it did become a little bit of a surprise hit and uh we mentioned Matsumoto even like reacting to you know when they showed it at uh Khan in France like he was like I'm really surprised people are liking this and laughing at it um so for those people it was working as this weird offbeat surreal comedy cuz I doubt a lot of those people understood a lot of the J- Japan stuff um, so even he was a little bit like, I don't get why this is so successful. You know, I doubt he's <laughs> complaining. Um, even up to, when was it? 2018, I believe. I don't know if you guys remember, um, there was like a traveling Star Wars exhibit that was going state to state to museums where they'd show off all the costumes and stuff. That came here to the Detroit Institute of Arts and, um... The DIA is one of the, you know, it's one of the most renowned art museums in the country. Um, but it does have a, a theater, uh, it, it has an art house theater in it where they'll play limited release movies or retro screenings. And I was at this Star Wars exhibit and I passed the, the, the little theater at the museum. Sure enough, that weekend they're playing Big Man Japan in 2018 in an American theater. And so it's like, okay, clearly the, it, there is a... A, a following that this movie has that all these years later over what a decade later you know it, it's still getting these little showings at, at you know art house theaters and and retro screenings and stuff and so like that was pretty cool i even like i think if if you look at my like star wars exhibit i think i have an album of photos on my facebook but i think i i think i even took a picture of that um so yeah it was a weird surprise international like little foreign film darling to the degree in uh where in 2011 
screenwriters Phil Hay and Matt Manfredi, who um, one of those guys is Karen Kusama's husband um, and writes a lot of her films, like The Invitation, if people have seen that, the, the horror movie. But th- they write a lot of comedies, like the ride-along films and whatnot. They were hired to make an American remake. This is kind oh, of... God. Yeah, called uh and and, and uh this is you know, this is kind of well I guess two thousand eleven is still a little bit late for coming at that time when everything Japanese was getting a remake. But I, I do feel like there's still a little bit of that like, oh, it's a foreign hit, let's remake it. I feel like that still exists. Um but they were hired to write an American remake called Big Man United States. Um <laughs> And as of 2013, they said it was still in development. Considering that that was eight years ago, I think we can be safe to say that that project's probably been killed off. Um, I am a little bit baffled as to what that would have looked like. It's a weird, it's a weird, you know, like... We've talked about it a, a, a little bit or alluded to it and how something like this kind of could work if you if you took an American slant on it, right? You I know, guess the, you could kind of just make it about this, like, dejected superhero that no one cares about anymore. Like, do maybe, like, kind of a Hancock kind of thing on it. But it just seems very strange that something with such a Japanese sense of humor and so much about Japan would... It's a very strange acquisition you, for, for a you remake. Could use the, it's, it's almost like you could use this as a jumping-off point to make something for America, but it would have, it would have to be so, so different. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like Because... You know the the end of this getting getting tokusatsu and everything like that. I mean that that doesn't translate to an American film at all. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like yeah. And, and I to... mean, I'm, I'm sure whatever studio it was were like, oh, that is a foreign movie that did well here. Yeah, let's remake. Like that, that's probably just all there was to it. But I I would be very curious to you know. I mean, maybe one day those screenwriters will be asked about it or script a leak or something but i would be very curious to see what that would have been big man united states that'd be crazy that sounds terrible <laughs> um okay so i guess i guess we're wrapping up here um if you're curious about this movie and you're like yeah but but guys i don't want to spend money on some movie that you're telling me I might hate because it picks on my favorite genre. Um, This movie is available for free on Tubi, Pluto, Voodoo, Crackle, and YouTube. It's very accessible. And then if you do like it, I mean, I don't know, home media sucks now. Yeah, the DVD's cheap, and the DVD actually has, like, it's got, like, an hour or so of deleted scenes. It's got... Weirdly enough, the movie itself doesn't have a commentary, but it has a making of that he does a commentary on. I don't know if that's just him being weird or what, Um, but it actually is, like, it's not a bare-bones release. There is some, like, decent additional content on it. Um, 
And yeah, I, I really feel like this is one that is worth revisiting. Um, even if you're one of those people that watched it years ago and didn't like it, I think, I think it's kind of ripe for this fandom to rediscover, maybe with a more open mind. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoyed it. So how many, um, oh my God, you could do a lot of these, couldn't you? Um, (laughs) how many, uh, Jesus, um. How many dropped babies do you give this out of five? I'll go first because I don't think I'm quite as uh, hot on it as, as either of you. But being my first time watching it, I actually had a pretty fun time. I'm at, I'm at a solid three and a half, but I also feel like this is one that as I go back and revisit, I will probably enjoy more every time. So it, it's definitely trending upwards. Yeah. Yeah, because I gave it a three and a half my first time that I ever watched it, um, but I'm this time I'm at a four, uh, four accidental knees to my grandfather's face out of five. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I think it's it's funny as a as a as a movie. Um, I think it's maybe maybe the best pair like. Granted, the, the, the true parody of this genre portion only happens in the last, you know, 15 minutes. But I think that might be the best parody of this genre that there is. Um, certainly the best parody of Ultraman specifically. Um, like, like Bird said, as someone who has now watched way more Ultraman than I had seen in 2007. Um, that... The climax of this is absolutely hilarious, um, and I like all the rest of it too. And there's a lot of funny within it throughout. A lot of potent, a lot of potential different reads on it, right? Um, you know, with with the U.S. Japan symbolism and Korea, that that is definitely there. But then, you know, we've we've talked about how it could. It could be sort of a, a microcosm of the Ultra franchise as a whole and its declining popularity. Um, uh, Kevin has his read of uh, it's it's not got as much to do with America specifically, but just sort of Japan dealing with its own internal identity crisis throughout and how it may come out of that identity crisis. Um, lots of potential symbolism, lots of different ways to interpret it. I think that's that's all a good thing. And then on top of that, it is funny. Um, but you know, just to just to throw in a, a negative or two, um, there's there's a lot of plot threads as it being a movie as a whole that it it doesn't end up circling back around to. Um, you know, stuff like his daughter or his agent or things like that, that, that really just like never get a conclusion. And so, you you know, you you certainly can't say it's a perfect movie at all. Well, We don't even know if that was real. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Still, I'm at a four out of five. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm with Tom and that I'm going to give it a four. Um, like I said, it's a movie I always liked, but this last viewing, it really kind of, it kind of just played gangbusters for me in, in a way that I didn't, I really wasn't 
didn't think it would. Um, yeah, it's it's just my kind of like weird, uncomfortable humor, very <laughs> surreal, inexplicable. Um, and then yeah, it's a movie that has a whole lot of layers to it in what it's actually saying. And it leaves the right amount of stuff open to interpretation in different reads. Um, and yeah, I just, I just really appreciate it this time. I'm going to give it a four also. Um, and yeah, I would really encourage people to revisit this if they've seen it. And whether they liked it or not, I would encourage uh, giving it another try. And just overall, though, for people that, you know, maybe do feel stuck in repetitive Godzilla films or whatever, that do want a little more originality out of the genre, this is, like, if you just want a fresh take on it, go to this. Go to your Colossals. Go to your Howl Beyond the Fog. Like, there is originality in this genre. It's just not in your Godzilla, Ultraman, like, let's keep let's keep the merch moving kind of franchises like and and this this fits that mold i think and if you don't like it fine but i mean if you want a typical giant superhero giant monster thing i mean there's countless there's thousands and thousands of hours of stuff you have so give this a chance um and uh it's you might be surprised. Um, so this movie's fifteen years old almost. How does that make you feel? That is insane. Old. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> that's just depressing. Oh Lord. Um, well, uh, I I think we're we're good on that note. Um, Tom, thank you for spending your birthday talking about a weird Japanese comedy from fifteen years ago. Um, and uh yeah i guess we'll see we'll see you next time everybody goodbye thank you for listening to the kaiju transmissions podcast please take a moment to rate and review us on itunes podbean and stitcher make sure to subscribe for all the latest episodes you can also check us out on twitter at kt underscore podcast you can check us out on instagram and facebook at kaiju transmissions and you can email us at kaiju transmissions at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments and we will see you next time